Young little guys are going to their classroom. The rest of you open up your bulletins, take your outlines out. And speaking of young people, I miss our youth group this morning. There's a good group of young people at San Onofre for the weekend retreat. Uh, Scott, if you'll remember to pray for our youth group's safe travel back home. They're coming home tonight at the end of our service this morning. I appreciate that. And... uh, Hopefully you got your outlines out because if this is your first time here today, I want you to know that we've been in a series in the book of James called Developing a Faith That Works. See, in order for faith to work in the everyday world, it's got to work for you first, right? I mean, if it's not working for you, then you're not going to be a very good testimony to others. But James kind of explains what faith is all about. And uh, today, part of being faithful is treating people right. And in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 and going to 13, he's going to tell us how to do that. Now, let me let you in on a little insight if you don't already know this. You just haven't lived very long. But your greatest problems in life, by far, are going to be people problems. Can I get an amen? Oh, you're going to have financial problems. You're going to have physical problems the older you get. You know, the body's not going to wear out and break down. There's going to be other problems. Don't get me wrong. But by far, the most common problems that you're going to face on a regular basis are people problems. Just getting along with other people. And James wants to help us with that today. Perhaps you can relate to this poem. To dwell above with those you love, that will be a glory. But to dwell below with those we know, well, that's another story. Well, James, as he often does, will give us the principle, the problem, and then the application or the solution. Let's take a look at the principle first. Up here on the screen, it says, My brothers... Oh, don't you love that? Which well, is what I love about James. He, he's one of those Christians that, if you've ever had one of these guys, they're really, really great. They want to correct you. They want you to do what's right. But they want you to know that they really love you first, right? Before they, like, belt you one with the Scripture. He puts his arm around you and he says, Oh, brother, you're in the family. You feel all warm and fuzzy. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, James. We believe in Jesus. Now, don't show favoritism. See, then he nails you. Because we're all guilty of this. We've all done some form of this in life. And what he's talking about is prejudiced. What he's talking about is showing partiality. That's what favoritism is. He says, don't be a snob. Uh, whether it's religiously 
or socially. Don't be a religious snob. Jesus dealt with those guys. They were called what in Jesus' day? The Pharisees. They looked down their long pharisaical noses at anybody else that didn't see it their way, even Jesus, and told them they were wrong. Can you imagine telling Jesus he didn't know the Scripture? (laughs) Jesus said, I'm the author of that book, (laughs) and you're telling me your interpretation's right and mine's wrong? Just because me and the guys ate a little grain one day on the Sabbath? Get out of here. Sabbath... Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for who? Man. But they did. And don't be a social snob. You know? Don't be that either. Let me give you some common areas that we find ourselves discriminating against. First of all, appearance. You know, if if you're a cute kid, (laughs) you've got a maiden life. Right? If you got the look, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're just a plain kid, or maybe somewhat less, well, good luck to you. That's an area we discriminate against. And then we've got number two, ancestry. Uh, this is race. This is just pure racism. Uh, like the black guy that went to ch- some big highfalutin church in the South, and it was filled with bigots, and they wouldn't let him in. And so he went to the preacher to complain about this. And the preacher says, now, now, what you need to do is just, you need to pray about that. And so he did. And a few weeks later, the preacher saw him. He says, hey, did did you pray about it? Did you talk to God about it? He says, I sure did. And God told me not to worry about it. Because he's been trying to get into this church for the last 20 years, and he can't even get in. Or age. You're either too young or you're too old. Remember what they said to little David, the shepherd boy? Oh, you're just a runt. You're just a wee kid. You can't go up against the giant. Well, David showed them, huh? Or Joshua in his old age. Remember, they went in to conquer the land. There was some hill country that, you know, was just some tough country. They never got around to taking those bad guys out. And Joshua now getting up in years is saying, you know, we need to do something about this. You know, we, we need to go up there. I know I'm up in years, and I'm sure someone could have said, now, Josh, you just stay home. We'll take care of this. We'll go fight. He led the way. I love that. You're never too young. You're never too old to serve God. And we discriminate sometimes about that. Or achievement. Our society gushes over the winners. And we forget the losers. And, and, and the Olympics are going on right now, and, and everyone's kind of talking about who's going to be on the next Wheaties box, you know. How many gold medals do you have to win? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, those, those loser third-place bronze medalists, you know, they're, they're never going to make it. <laughs> Imagine what that makes us. I mean, we don't even make the team. We're watching it on the tube, right, you know. <laughs> Look how, how far below we are in the ranks. But man, we gush over the winners, don't we? The athletes, the movie stars, all those, ooh, glamour, glamour. That's a bunch of baloney. That's that's a form of discrimination against others. And then affluence, we judge people by their wealth 
or their lack of it. And then James gives a great illustration about this in verses 2 to 4. He says, suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing gold rings, fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, brother, sit down. But say to the poor man, get up, give this man your seat, stand over there, sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges, now watch this, with evil thoughts? James says, if you do that, you've got a dirty mind. You're filled with evil thoughts. Can you imagine? Big limo pulls out out here in the parking lot, and everyone says, ooh, who's that? Somebody special. Bodyguards get out. They open the door. They escort him in. He's in this really nice suit, and he's got a checkbook and a pen in his hand. Ooh. Esther sees him. Hey, come, sir, come on up here. You, 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 out, 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 get out of that seat. Give this man your seat. James says, you've got a dirty mind. You've got evil intent. You've got evil thoughts going on there. That is wrong. You're, dim- you're, you're discriminating. Don't judge by appearance. That is the principle number one that James gives us. Now, He talks a lot about the problem. Let's look at the problem. What is the problem? The problem is showing favoritism. And uh, he gives us three reasons why favoritism is just wrong. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 2, verse 11. For God does not show favoritism. God is not a respecter of persons. This is not the only verse that says this, by the way. You read Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He takes a good little portion of that 15-minute sermon and devotes it to this subject. He says God causes His Son to shine on the evil and the good. You know what? Here's a Christian farmer and here's an atheist farmer. And you know what God does? He doesn't discriminate. He lets his sunshine fall upon both fields, both men's crops. And then when they need rain, he says, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God does not discriminate. And if you want to be like Jesus, don't discriminate either. Don't show favoritism if you want to be like Jesus. Now, if you don't, well, do your own thing. Judge people based on their appearance, ancestry, age, achievement, and affluence. I don't want to do that. It's unchristian. And if there's one place where there shouldn't be discrimination, it ought to be the church. Number two, favoritism is unreasonable. He makes a really good case here, especially if you understood what these brethren were going through, the context of this. There's some, some real persecution going on at this time. In verse 5 he says, Has not God chosen the poor to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? Now he's not saying here that it's, it's so good to be poor. And it's so 
bad to be rich. He's not saying that. You know, I, I'd just soon be a rich Christian as a poor Christian. How about you? See, the key is you're a Christian. <laughs> the key is you are rich in what? Faith. All right? But he's saying, guys, what, you've got this thing all wrong. You're really kind of messing this thing up. Because if you stop and think about it, aren't you glad God doesn't check your wallet before he decides to save you or not? <laughs> See, money's not the key. God doesn't look at that. That does not impress God one bit. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? He goes on to say. What he's saying is, it's unreasonable. As, as a matter of fact, it's illogical what you guys are thinking. How do I know they're thinking that? Well, the apostles never wrote a letter in this book without addressing a problem. So we know this kind of problem was taking place in the church of that day. But if you stop and think about how, how illogical this is, you'd say, why on earth would they even do this? Because you see, in New Testament times, it was the Romans it was the nobility, it was the upper crust who were throwing the Christians into the lion's den, into the arena. And James says, guys, do you see how illogical this is? Why are you worried about impressing them? They're certainly not worried about impressing you. It's illogical. It's unreasonable. You know why I think we like to kiss up to people that are affluent we are hoping they will do something for us that's probably why that's my thinking and here's the key you don't have to know the key men if you know the man who holds the keys and what did Jesus say? Fear not. I'm the first and the last. The living one. I was dead, but I'm now alive. And I hold the keys to both death and Hades. Who holds the keys? My Lord and Savior. Our Jesus holds them. So that's where we need to focus our attention. We don't show favoritism because it's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's unloving. Uh, and, and finally, it's unloving. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Why, why is it called the royal law? Notice what he calls this. If you really keep the royal law, ooh, what is the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, it's the royal law because if we just practice this one, that would take care of most of the other commandments when it deals with man dealing with man. Right? Because if, if I love my neighbor as myself, well, I wouldn't want my neighbor committing adultery with my wife, so I'm not going to commit adultery with his wife. Do you see that? If I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to violate the ninth commandment. I'm not going to lie to my neighbor because I don't want my neighbor lying to me. I'm not going to commit the eighth commandment i don't want my neighbor stealing from me so i don't want to steal from my neighbor do you see how this thing works right across the board this is the royal law if we just 
love our neighbor as ourselves, all those other laws will fall right into place. But few of us love unconditionally. Most love kind of like this poem. Paul's girl is rich and haughty. My girl's poor as clay. Paul's girl is young and pretty. Mine looks like a bale of hay. Paul's girl is smart and clever. My girl is dumb but good. Would I trade my girl for Paul's? You bet your life I would. Ah. <laughs> uh. You see why we need the book of James? You know, you see why we, we need a good dose of this to get real down into our hearts? And, and sometimes I leave here a little bit beat up, and you tell me you feel a little bit beat up too by the book of James. But you know what? I've been beat up with it all week reading this thing, getting ready for this message. You just have to hear it once. I'm just going over this and over this. But you know what? James is putting his arm around us and telling us he loves us and he wants the best for us. But then he tells it like it is. Appreciate that. When you feel the love, you can take the pain. So, verse 9. If you show favoritism, you sin. Right? Plain and simple. It's a sin. And you are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You see what the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All it takes is one, man. You're the weakest link. You can have, there's ten commandments. You may keep nine out of ten, but break one. It's like a chain. I'm hanging on to this chain. I expect this chain to carry me over this cauldron of hot molten burning oil and i've got hold of it man i 10 of those links are solid (laughs) one is weak and is about to break would you do it all it takes is one weak link and you go down and that's the way we are who 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 hasn't committed more who hasn't broken more than one of the ten commandments right we all consider ourselves to be very good people you know, you, you ask your average person on the street, you consider yourself to be a good person? You bet I do. Can I ask you just a few questions to see if that's true? Sure, have at it. Have you ever told a lie? You know, we've, got, we've done this many times. Well, sure. What does that make you? Human, normal, everybody does that. That's not a big deal. Right, well, God's only given us ten, and that's number nine. Can't even keep one way down on the list. And they go in descending order. You want to start with the top? There's only one God. Put Him first place in your life all the time. How many of you keep God first place in your life all the time? Never put yourself there, but keep God there. Well, guilty of one, might as well be guilty of all. Do you see why we need a Savior now? Do you see why we need a Savior? We're a, we're a mess. I like to say I'm a mess, but I'm God's mess. Good thing to be God's mess. You're in. By grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself that any man should boast. But this favoritism thing still has to be dealt with. I can be forgiven. 
But it's got to be dealt with. And most people say, but Bruce, I mean, favoritism. It's not even in the top ten. You know, it's one of those 710 different ordinances out there. It's just one of many other things. It's not in the big list. It's such compared to the, it's such a small little sin. I made a big batch of brownies and put just a little tiny bit of poison in it. Would you eat them? (laughs) Me neither. But it's such a big batch of brownie. It's such a small little sin, Bruce. How many sins do you got to commit to be a sinner? Just one. How many crimes do you got to commit to be a criminal? Just one. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit before they were separated from God? Out of the garden. Just one. Do you see why we need a Savior? I always like to mix some of the pain and some of the stain with the grace and mercy of God. Because most people look to themselves, especially people in the world that are affluent, that think they've got it all together. You know, maybe financially. Maybe, you know, they're mentally sharp. They've got some brain power and letters after their name. And they think that makes me something. Maybe to the world, but not to God. If you've got even one sin... On your record. And we all do, of course, many times over. And then he kind of illustrates this. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you commit adultery, but do not commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. He's illustrating his point of how unloving Showing favoritism is. And it's kind of a wild illustration if you stop and think about it. Circle the word adultery and circle the word murder in your mind. He, it, it, James is kind of saying, what if I came over to your house and said, Brother, I really love you. And the way I'm going to show you that I love you is I'm not going to commit adultery with your wife. However, if you really tick me off, I'm going to reserve the right to murder you. How loving would that appear to you? Not very loving, right? Well, you know what? I keep these commandments, I just don't keep that. It's all the same, is what James is saying. Guys, don't play games with the commandments. Well, it's just a little sin. It's just such a small thing on the big scheme of things. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law. Did you know that you're going to be judged by this book? When you stand before a holy God, He's going to hold this up and say, okay, how'd you do? And if that were the end of the story, we'd all be in trouble. But that's not the end of the story. But that's the attitude that I have. He talks about, but it's also a law that gives freedom. Aren't you glad that's in there? 
Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment every single time. You know, it seems like when I preach, I tend to talk more about grace than I do mercy. But both are important. We sing amazing grace... But we also need to sing Amazing Mercy. You know the difference between the two, right? Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. We all deserve death. But God gives us life. We don't deserve it. That's called grace. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. When you were growing up, Did your parents ever say to you, you deserve a spanking young man or young girl. But I'm going to let you off this one time with a warning. That's mercy. And every single one of us deserves a very severe spanking. But instead, because of our faith in God's Son, He rains down mercy upon us. Aren't you glad? James balances his book so well, doesn't he? You kind of feel that sting, but it's loaded with grace. It's loaded with mercy. So, the principle, don't judge by appearance. We often tend to do that. Look at a person's clothes, a person's hair, a person's tattoos, a person's uh, wealth, the kind of car they drive, the color of their skin. Ah, that's all bad, bad, bad. Their race. I only believe in two races. Decent and indecent. I wish we all did. Wish we lived in that colorblind of a world. We don't, but we got to get discrimination out of the church for sure. And then the problem, showing favoritism. Now the prescription. Here's the good stuff. Here he helps us figure this all out. He says basically this, treat people right. Now they did a survey of 8,600 people from congregations in 39 different denominations. And they wanted to measure... Their love quotient, if you will. And the survey shows growing churches are more loving to each other and to the guests that come to their church. Declining churches are just the opposite of that. They're not very loving to one another or to a first-time guest. Loving churches attract more people regardless, now watch this, this is what I found interesting in the study, regardless of their theology, denomination, or location. What's he saying? You do not argue people into the kingdom of God. You love them in. Does that make sense? We've been trying for years to argue them in. Oh, that's the wrong way to believe. Here's the right way to believe. Argue, argue, argue. How about just loving them? You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's all James is saying. Well, how do I love them in? Three quick steps and then we'll close. Number one, accept everybody, 
Romans 15, 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Do you know why people have a hard time accepting others? They confuse acceptance with approval. And here's what I found out. You can accept people without approving of their lifestyle. In a Crosspoint Christian church, we are trying to cultivate an attitude of acceptance. A culture of accepting everyone in our church. And we say this all the time. We are a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Right? It doesn't matter where you've been, but what direction you're going now. And then the second way we treat people right is we appreciate everyone. Philippians 2, 3-5, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others actually better than yourselves. What an attitude, what a change that would bring, huh? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. You can always find something you can like in someone who is very different from you. Now, this may require a little creativity, but, you know, I, I do tend to like the fact that not everyone is like me, that there are more than 31 flavors out there, right? Even when we go to the 31 flavor place, uh, you know, I, we tend to like track people to ourselves that we're like, and I, I, I admit, I'm the type of guy, although they have 31 flavors plus the flavor of the month, I guess that's 32, I get either Rocky Road or Mint Chip just about every time. Right, Jane? Now, her, on the other hand, she tries all the craziest flavors. You know how they give you a little sample, a little sample? That's why I always order first. You know, I just, give me a Rocky Road, please, and I start eating. And whenever she's finished, let me know, I'll go pay. And I'm usually finished with mine by the time she picks one, right? And it's usually the craziest one thing out there, you know, just whatever it is. I'm the kind of guy, and you're the kind of people, we tend to attract people, and we want people that are like us. But the Bible says, broaden your eyes. Open your heart. Be loving, warm, and accepting of everybody. Stop the favoritism. Stop the discrimination. Plain old vanilla is boring. That's why I have Rocky Road. Thirdly, affirm everybody. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Here it is. Encourage one another and build each other up. Build is the same word in the Greek for affirm. I'm to affirm you, you're to affirm me, and it doesn't matter our background. I grew up in Paramount. You may be here and having grown up in Beverly Hills. We be brethren. I got my car washed either in my front yard, and if I had a few quarters, I'd go to the coin-op across from the high school and sprayed my Volkswagen off with a machine. I thought that was really hot. You may have a limo driver. We be brethren, right? It doesn't matter. Rich, poor, in between. We are all one man in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? 
You can encourage people just by smiling at them. That's why it's very important to have greeters in our church. And Waller, thank you for every Sunday morning. I see you back there greeting, welcoming people. And Frank and, and Chris and Jason and the, and, the, and the folks that put our bulletins together, thank you. You don't know how important that is when people come in to, good morning, did you get one of these? Did you get one of these? And, and that's just kind of a neat thing. And then when Isaiah has us all stand, hey, take a moment, greet one another. And I see you guys crossing the aisles, man, and, and loving one another. And when you see a first-time guest, I especially love to see our people go over and welcome them. Because you remember what it was like the first time you were a first-time guest. And you wanted someone, is anyone going to talk to me? Is anyone going to welcome me? Is anyone going to make me feel... One of our mottos here at Crosspoint is every member's a minister and every member's a greeter, okay? Always think about it in those terms. And so the church that accepts and appreciates and affirms people is the church that God blesses. Nothing can stop a loving church, and it doesn't happen automatically. It requires everybody. And so ask, stop and ask yourself the question this morning. Would people come back to this church just because of me? The way I treat people? The way I'm friendly to others? That's a good question maybe to end with this morning. Now maybe you're here for the very first time. Maybe you are a first time guest. And notice I call you a guest. You're not a visitor. Visitors tend to come and go and you may never ever see them again. But if you're a guest, I want my guests to return again and again and again to my home, to our church, to our family. Here's what you need to leave with today. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter if you've been married one time or ten times. It doesn't even matter if you agree with my interpretation of the second coming of Christ. It doesn't matter what your race, your background, your color. All are welcome here. Amen? We close with one more verse, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. What is the this? If you, what's the next word? Love one another. Let's pray that we are going to be that kind of church at Cross Point. Lord, I pray this morning that there may be an outreached, outstretched hand and a warm heart and a warm hug and a loving smile for every person who worships here at Cross Point. Lord, forgive us for making judgments about people based on outward appearance. Help us to realize that favoritism and faith do not match They do not mix. They are incompatible. Help us to realize that it is unchristian to discriminate. It's unreasonable and it's unloving. And I pray that each of us would commit ourselves to accepting people, appreciating them and affirming them because you have accepted us. Lord, if there's somebody here today that has not made that step of accepting you, into their lives through faith, repentance, and baptism. I pray they do so today. In Jesus' name, amen.